Garcia. You don't want to talk about that? I'm not going to. I don't want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I, we, we, after the fact, if you know. Yeah. Because right. it's one of those things that, like, I've talked about doing it so many times to or with so many people. Yeah. That I think anyone who would hear that process would go, yeah, f- sure. You know, and if you're going to keep this part in very vague, <laughs> that would be fine. <laughs> yeah. But out of context, there's no reason to keep it. <laughs> True. Well, it's, you know, it's fine. We're just talking about, so Dan has a collection of G.I. Joe's <laughs> and he just. I've been thinking of, you know, it's time to sell them, you know, bring that. You know, and every night he does condo book. a recreation Right. Of the film, of course, uh, Ladybugs. Right. With the G.I. Joes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I can't think of any G.I. Joe names. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, well, I, I guess there's the titular G.I. Joe. Actually, there is no G.I. Joe. Oh, there is there not? It, as far as I can That's tell. That's just like a generic term? I think it is a generic Cobra term. Cobra Commander. That's Cobra one. Commander is a guy. Um, I actually never played with G.I. Joe's. I wasn't allowed to. Oh, why not? Because it, um, it was, it had like violent undertones. It was about violence and war oh. and stuff. And <clears throat> that was like a hard rule in my house. Like, like nothing violent. Nothing violent. I had no toy guns. Um. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Excuse me. That's LaCroix. Um. Sweet LaCroix. Uh, but... Anything involving, like, I I could watch any movie that was rated R for, like, uh, language or, like, booby reasons. Mm-hmm. But if it was rated R for violence or even PG-13 for violence, be like, no. Interesting. So I think that was probably a... I have no baggage about that decision that I'm aware of. Do you think that it had the intended consequence? Which Or what do you think the... Like, were the... Did they just, your parents not want you to become violent or did they want you not to become desensitized to it? I think it was that. The latter? Yeah. 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 And do you think that worked? I think so. Yeah. I think, um, I don't think I would have done well with it because I'm like so sensitive anyway about like any sort of suffering or like depictions of graphic anything really. now do you think that's natural or do you think, i don't know do you i don't know if it's your parents a... nurturing well instill that in you i do know that one time my mom forced me to watch <laughs> raiders of the lost ark uh-huh. and when that guy's face melted uh-huh. it ruined me as a person and i have i take every opportunity to mention this <laughs> so when you say <laughs> your mom forced she knows you that i'm joking <laughs> But I have vowed to never stop giving her shit for this. I see. So in reality, she didn't actually force you to watch it. Oh, she forced me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, this, the actual story is that there is no way that anyone could have known that, like, their face would melt. Right. There's no, like, so your mom hadn't warning. Seen the movie yet. No, okay. not at all. And it was, there was no, like, 
warning <laughs> there's going to be a melting Nazi face in this movie. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and, uh, and so did that like scare you? Did it like, oh, it freaked me the fuck out, yeah. but I think that's what it's supposed to do. Right. But I, I hadn't, it was my first exposure to having that feeling in a movie theater, which mm. is like supposed in my mind at the time it was supposed to be safe. Did you, you know? cry? Oh, probably. My parents, I'm sure, thought it was completely fine because it's PG, right? Um, uh, Steven Spielberg, what could possibly go wrong? Well, that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I remember like, my mom basically saying, um, I'm going to tell you before anything scary happens. Because you can usually tell with like music cues and stuff. And she did for the most part. But by the end of the movie, when the f- face melting comes along, it's like you're so enthralled and... All of it, right? And I'm just yeah. like, I, I'm not catching on to any of the cues. I'm just like, mom's going to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and sure as shit. Damn. <laughs> Which, and because she might listen to this, I truly don't like, it's it's just a gag. But at the time, it freaked me out. Yeah. But it's also something it, it, that gave me something at the same time. Like, that movie is super fun for me yeah. now because... Yeah. It's like, oh, here's this thing that like, it it I stayed away from it for years. Yeah. To the point that like I'd hang out with friends or whatever, and they'd be like, yeah, let's get out the VHS. Here's, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'd be like, nope, I'm out. I yeah. can't. That's um, funny. Yeah. On this PG movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I saw it again. And it was it's that weird thing where like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm a fucking adult. I can watch this movie. Yeah. But, and I, I, re- I love having that feeling yeah. of like, this still terrifies me, but I know it's simply because it used to. Yeah. And I guess I, that is such a fun feeling for me. Yeah. That's, that's a thing that I, my sister, my oldest sister is, was like that. She has three children and she followed the strict guidelines of, movie rating system Mm -hmm. so the kids couldn't see a pg-13 until they were 13 um and you know the the rest of my family were we were like you know we all kind of grew up watching r-rated movies since whenever my parents didn't really and uh and so we were just like like why you know is it (laughs) you know that's you know it almost seemed like kind of a square thing to do but the all three kids turned out to be really great kids so um so maybe there's something to it who knows I think it, it, ideally there is, but there's also some arbitrariness there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's very arbitrary, the lines, I guess. But I do agree with just, like, I'm not going to let my kids watch R-rated movies when they're, like, six. I mean, that's too much. Right. But after a certain point, you can probably... What if it's, like, a raunchy comedy? I probably wouldn't want to expose them to sexual talk that young. Okay. Again, but I don't know what... I don't, but what would they do with it? Yeah, that that's the question. You just don't know. But um, maybe be sexualized too young. Maybe. And, and then <clears throat> who knows? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that the my parents made the right decision, but I, I can at least get behind it philosophically. Yeah. You know, um, it makes sense. I'm not implying that they didn't make the right decision. You know, I just I. Most of the time, it, when a, if a parent tries, that's that's good. It's like, oh, right. they're they're trying to do something. That's better than not giving a shit, right? 
Um, not not to say that parents who let their kids watch R-rated movies don't completely don't give a shit, but that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. my parents didn't know because my <laughs> my parents. They, but also, I was the fourth one, you know. So it's just oh like yeah, that by that time it's just like no, yeah, it's, it's like fine. who cares? Yeah, yeah. we're a movie family. <clears throat> yeah. Um, no, my parents are great. Uh, 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 what was I gonna say? Oh, um, the one ca- the the one caveat I have to that is the parents who don't vaccinate their ch- their children because <laughs> you're, you're you're trying, but you're an yeah. idiot. Okay. <laughs> um, Dan, well, well, I am here with Dan Shaw. I am. Uh, but you know that because you clicked on the episode title. <laughs> Sucker. Um, Daniel, I met at FCI, level one, uh, and we've been rocking together ever since. Sometimes literally. Yeah. <laughs> we have another podcast called Dan Hates the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Um, that, and I, I, I'm the one that hates the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Hence the title. <laughs> Uh, we just had a nice steak dinner. Yeah, it was delicious. Um, Thank you. What's your What's your death row last meal? Mm-hmm. That's a tough one to spring on you. I think there's a couple answers. The uh, give me one. So the direction that excuse me, Lacroix. <clears throat> I think. Hmm. Off the top of my head, Monte Cristo from the Blue Bayou at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you have one of those? Mm, did I? No, I don't okay. think I did. Okay, I'm I surprised. I'm pretty you... sure I ate at the Blue Bayou because they, right. the, they have the beignets, right? Uh, was it indoors, like indoors but outdoors at the same time? Yeah. Yeah, that's Blue Bay. I fucking love that place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Monte Cristo. I'm surprised I didn't put that on my like screed of directions of how to do Disneyland right. Yeah. <laughs> I think you mentioned I really tried to hold back though. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is, I mean, it's delicious because it's basically a deep fried turkey and ham and Swiss cheese sandwich. Listen, I don't need the ingredients. Just tell me the meal. Monte Cristo Monte sandwich. Monte Cristo sandwich. Um, <laughs> He's being joking by being a dick. <laughs> kind of. Um, anything involving raw salmon makes me happy. Mm, I think it's part of mine too. Yeah. Some salmon nagiti on, um, on the side. One more item. Oh, shit. And a drink. And a drink. Big Red is the drink. Dude, I haven't had Big Red in so long. I fucking love Big Red. I used to, I used to have it out of the, in our house all the time growing yeah, up. They had they sell it. <laughs> Yeah, sure. like here. I'm sure, it's still around. Yeah. I just no interest anymore. <laughs> um, okay, another food. Oh, uh, eggs Benedict. I love eggs Benedict. From where? Mimi's. Oddly enough, Mimi's. Mimi's Cafe. Yeah. Nice. Cool, man. So you're uh, well, a couple of things I know about you for the listeners. Just some some highlights on a note card. Good. Have some low lights as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> These could go either way. You love Disneyland. Yes, you're, I love the parks, you love but not the, the company. Or, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you have another podcast called Supreme Resort, where you talk about that those parks a lot. Yeah. Um, you're from California, mm-hmm. from LA, ish, LA you, area. You if you live in San Diego um, or anywhere else, that's like. Where are you from? I'm from Claremont, California. Claremont, okay. Actually, originally from the <clears throat> uh, San Dimas 
canyon. Like my family lived in this weird like hippie commune in the forest for like the first five years of my life. It this doesn't give any indication of like what who my family is because we moved the fuck out of there as soon as we could. <laughs> but, well, okay. Well, let's just jump right into your yeah. to your past. Yeah. So you were born. So you have an older sister. You have an older sister. Yeah. And then you were born, and you found your family was at the time living in the forest in a as a legit hippie commune or do you say that like well it was like it was legit not legit it was ba- from what i understand it was like a group of people who decided were that they're they're all going to go build cabins out in the angeles national forest and live in them and live in them I and my it, parents the, weren't i think everybody has that thought at well, at least i mean i had that thought totally all the time actually and my parents weren't like one of the people who went to build the cabin but they like bought a cabin that was built there <laughs> right we're gonna do the manual labor. Well, I, to be fair, like my dad did a ton of renovation work in yeah. every single house that we lived in. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's a lot of stories there. Um, but so, and then I guess the city or the county or the state or somebody was like, "Yeah, what are we gonna do?" And they just kind of went, "Sure, you can be there." And like to the whole commune, yeah, essentially. So, so did did your like were your parents hippies? Or no, I mean, not. Was it just like, oh, here's a here's a place on the cheap? I think it was probably that. I think it was probably. I still haven't gotten around like the the reason for that choice. I think it was like they wanted. I think they just wanted to try living there for mm. like some time. Mm-hmm. And I know my dad really really enjoyed renovation mm-hmm. like it's it's intense how much that that man enjoyed doing re- renovation mm-hmm. um and i i can very easily see him saying like i want to renovate a cabin you know yeah he's a fixer-upper oh yes yeah yes okay <clears throat> so Lived there for for first five years, but then you, you I re- guys remember got out. so little of it that yeah. it, it it's like okay yeah. So your parents, you say, weren't hippies. Who, what can da- adult Dan say now, looking back? What were your parents? What were they like? Who were they? Classify mm. them, describe them as they exist, and and. 1970s and 80s America. Uh, how do I answer this <laughs> in a way that <laughs> is um, they're both lovely people and I am thrilled as thrilled as I get <laughs> um, that I have the relationship that I have with them now. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two people in their early 30s who didn't necessarily need to be together. But the circumstances and the time made it kind of not an option mm-hmm. um because a common just story where, where they were in their life yeah you know? yeah um and there's a lot of like deeper more personal stuff that 
we all have that comes from that, I think. Um, but I don't necessarily need to process that out in the open. I mean, I mainly because I just don't want to make any of them that might be listening to this more insecure about those things than they need to be sure because it's in you know it's in the past and i think there's been a lot of healing you know yeah um and we we get along great yeah now well good yeah so um a lot of fighting in the in the home no that uh a lot of not fighting so a lot of a lot of door slamming door slamming silent suffering maybe a lot of a lot of um very much not saying not actually not even being in touch with the thing that you're angry about um just knowing that you're upset i think and then hoping that somebody and this is very much my experience but it i think it's also kind of the environment um just knowing that you're upset about something and hoping that someone will reach out and like pull it out of you mm-hmm but we were all doing that. Mm-hmm. So nobody was reaching into the other person, you know, mm-hmm. to say like, I think, I don't want to say nobody or never, but, you know, like the the memory is that we were all just kind of just dealing with, we, we didn't really know how to deal with our shit. And in that, we didn't know how to help each other deal with our shit or even acknowledge that any shit was happening because it was like we were we were really living the early 80s suburban upper middle class white I, you know we were following our instructions um i don't know what that means i don't know what that means either um I, so I'm, we've mentioned before in other settings that I tend to be very guarded and it's not necessarily by choice. It's just sort of what I was, how it's how I have been Mm -hmm. and and trying to be less of. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably the least guarded of my, of my immediate family. Mm. You know, I don't, and I don't know how much of that, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know who's... Um, we, we communicated, I think through not communicating. Yeah. And not, it, not in a, like, not in a way that's any, it's not like an intense drama story. It's just sort of a weird, like, okay, well, here's four people who just don't really know how to connect. Yeah. When you look back <clears throat> at your younger self from like. I don't know, between the ages of like seven and like 11, mm-hmm. what kind of kid, like were you, um, and I use those ages because that's about how far back I can remember, mm-hmm. um, maybe like five, but like I, it's just you're just kind of still, well, I don't know, if you can remember back that far, like what kind of kid were you? Were you like, were like, were you sad like early on or were you just kind of like, oh, I was I'm just, I'm just very kinda... oblivious to, um, to what was going on in the house. Yeah, and, yeah. Because everything yeah. was so... It was... Uh, it's... 
it took basically all of all four of us at some point going to therapy and then and also like intensive like workshop kind of stuff to together kind of, or individually separately yeah. um <clears throat> to kind of like come back into that environment and go like oh wait a minute this isn't what this isn't good yeah and it's not even like you know how dare you how dare it was it's just like wow we're all we've we're all four of us are kind of doing being a person wrong you know yeah well and what it sounds like and i and i'm saying this uh almost well i'm guessing basically but from what lily told me it sounds like nobody was actively doing it mm-hmm. like they were like an abusive person but more like they themselves like nobody had the equipment like you're well, we'll just say your parents because that starts with them and it goes down to yeah, you guys they're but literally the adults in the room yeah they don't from their upbringing probably they didn't they weren't equipped with the proper ways to communicate and, right. uh, and a, a good how-to manual wasn't yeah. given to them at so. the time <laughs> they they didn't even know what they wanted let alone how to get that or communicate mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know um but i mean to go back to your question how i was as a kid i was very much i had a bunch of imaginary friends mm-hmm. um like a list I, I i can't remember them but apparently it was a lot and most of them had a backstory or like a family or like there's like there's I don't know how unique this is, but the, in the way people tell it to me, it's, it just sounded like it was unique. So you don't remember communicating yeah. with the imaginary friends? You I just... remember like blaming shit on them. <laughs> like and, what? what <laughs> the only thing that I can think of is my parents owned a frame shop uh-huh. uh, back when frame shops existed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was this wall in the back room that had a pencil attached to it on a string. And I just figured, well, that's just an invitation. Yeah. Right. You got to pull that thing. Well, you, no, you got to write on the wall with the pencil. Oh, or yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who does that? <clears throat> so I would, I did that and I, and my parents saw it and I remember just this one time, uh, drop dead. Fred did it. His, yeah. Totally drop dead. Fred did it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, I remember at the time thinking that that was that like that was kind of true because like I knew better. Yeah. But this person did. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um Yeah, they weren't testing for ADHD or anything like that back then. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, okay, so then what do you think that means? I mean, how, like, at what age did the imaginary friend stop? At the, at a, I would imagine the appropriate age, because I don't, I don't remember their names. I don't remember, like, yeah. introducing my real friends to them or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think going back to the fact that we lived in the forest, mm-hmm. there's probably something there mm-hmm. where it's like there's no neighborhood kids to play around gotcha. with, so I'm going to create my own. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I was... There was that. I was very much into, um, as soon as I learned how to make, like, make tape recordings of stuff, I was all into that shit. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, listen, I would listen to old 
records a lot. Mm-hmm. Like old, like just shitty fucking production music. I don't know why my parents had these records. Mm-hmm. Like shit, l- l- looking back, I'm just like, why did my... Did my parents actually own a Les Baxter album? Or like, like, like I don't... Who knows? Who mm-hmm. knows how it happened? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I got exposed to a lot of that cheesy, like 1960s shit. Yeah. Um, and of course, Disneyland was like once or twice a year. And that's when it was like. Not really into that, that. That was, that was, that was very cool. Yeah. Were you, um, so as a kid, were you close to close to your either of your parents or your sister or more close to uh, any kind of friends or other family members? Or were you just kind of pretty much close to the shit that you're doing? Like some kids are just like, I'm into this thing. And that's <laughs> not, that's what I'm into. That's what no, I'm close I was. To. <clears throat> I was uh, I had a lot of. I had a lot of friends, but few close friends. Yeah. You know, it's like oh, it's, that sounds like the beginning of a shitty young adult novel um my sister and i i think it's hard to explain because like she's six and a half years older than me so there's not a natural like connection of interest there Mm -hmm. for a significant portion Mm -hmm. of a childhood there you know um I think she, I, well, I know she definitely, she, she did, she fucking did her best in terms of like really trying to connect with this kid. And like, I, looking back, she didn't have to do some of the shit that she did, but at the same time, like she's still a kid herself. Right. So mm-hmm. there's going to be moments where we're not really getting along cause we're on different speeds, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I was definitely closer to my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that had, you know, the therapy and all that not been introduced at some point, I would have been in serious danger of being like classic mama's boy. Um, yeah. I say, I say that as though there's a, a way bigger story there. There's really not. It's just... So you're saying because, <clears throat> like, expand on that. Like, mm-hmm. what? Like, when did you start therapy? And then, like, what would have been different had you not been in therapy? Oh like, God! Like, what does it mean? To, like, when you're saying I would have been well, a classic he, mama's boy. Here's the thing: is that it's hard for me to to speculate on what I would have been like because I think my I started going first time around. I was like twelve, yeah, thirteen or twelve. Um, and my piano teacher actually um, suggested it. And her husband is a therapist. And, you know, I would talk to her about, you know, 12-year-old shit mm-hmm. 12-year-olds go through. And um, at some point, she's... We had a really good... We had a good f- friendship relationship, mm-hmm. but I've frustrated every piano teacher I've ever had. Um so she basically said at some point, she's like, look, I know how this sounds and I realize that my husband is a therapist, but have you considered <laughs> going into therapy? Yeah. Because I really think that you'd benefit from it. And I realize that this seems like a scam, but I guarantee that I have not done this before. 
Yes. Okay. So that's quite um, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, British TV show. <laughs> um, why do you think she said that? Because while I think every person should go to therapy, mm-hmm. um, and young, the younger the better, mm-hmm. and so I think it's ultimately a good thing. It's just not common for, I don't think it's even, I wouldn't say it's common in 2020, mm-hmm. let alone in the 80s for, um, or maybe it was, I don't know, uh, for someone at 12 to like be, go, be, be in therapy. So what, like, what do you think looking back, like, why is the reason why, like, why is, why did she think that you should, that you would benefit from therapy? I think looking <clears throat> back, I mean, there's, there's the much longer answer, which gets into like, this is, these are all the things that I ended up talking about. But I think honestly, looking back, it's probably because I was like, I was a kid with a learning disability and like that wasn't getting talked about. It wasn't getting spotted. Nobody was even thinking about that, that, as that as being a possibility instead it was just well here's this difficult kid or here's this kid who um has difficulties Mm -hmm. you know rather than it being like oh we know what that is yeah you know um i mean there's a there's a ton of more detailed more you know emotional stuff that we all have but i think that I think that that might have been part of the thing that was happening that like seemed off, but we didn't really have a, it's not, it, it, this was at the very beginning of people even identifying that, you know? Yeah. And so we didn't really, for a long period of time, didn't really have a way of saying that this kid doesn't have a choice necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, when he starts drifting or starts laughing hysterically at some random thought he has in class, like it's not, Oh, well that's just what he does. That's just what his brain does. It's this motherfucker's trying to ruin my class. Right. You know? So what is your learning disability or what was it or what is it and is like, what is it define it? <laughs> like, what is it? Uh, there's, there's, there's a, there hasn't been a moment where like we sit down and do the like i don't know basically what we've come to is definitely adhd and ritalin has been probably a literal lifesaver for me um as an adult Mm -hmm. i got diagnosed at like 34 36 right Mm -hmm. and before that i just thought i was stupid like i truly thought that i was just a fucking idiot that's crazy Yeah. yeah um and probably explains a lot. <laughs> and so what is... But then there's another component that, like, we've kind of explored, but basically the doctor said, like, yeah, we can run, like, all sorts of tests to figure out what exactly this is, but it's just the way your brain processes stuff is just kind of off. Yeah. And Do you have any more detail about how... We kind of walked away from that going, like, that's kind of all we need to know. Okay. How does so attention deficit uh, hyperactive disorder? Yes. So how does that man, how does that manifest in you? What does that even mean? Because I mean, everyone knows what it stands for, and like right. they, they they have some kind of image of just like a hyper kid. But like, right. what does it mean actually for as far as 
how it manifested in you, like how you are in a classroom, like what goes through your head, um, what does it mean like for you in a quote unquote normal standard classroom? Like mm-hmm. how was that not an ideal environment for you because of X, Y, and Z? Oh, it actually is ideal for okay, me if is. if it's college. Yeah. <laughs> and if I know that this is something that I need to be aware of. Um, but as a kid, you don't have any fucking awareness of that. Uh, so I think the way it manifested was... Um, I would definitely, if I knew that I could um, fuck with a teacher in some way, I would absolutely do it. And it was more like just to test them, to just be like, how are you, how are you still falling for this? Um, but Or, or like, um, if I had a, a thought in my head, like if someone would say something, and it made me think of something that was funny or if I thought of a joke for what they said, like I had absolutely zero ability to not share that with somebody um, because it was just like, well, this needs to get out to the world, uh-huh. you know? Um, but I think the main thing that it, basically the reason why it started becoming a, like a problem in terms of like my happiness and my functioning as a, as an adult person Mm -hmm. was what they don't talk about a lot with ADHD is um, there's something called hyper-focus where, you know, you don't necessarily always get to choose what you pay attention to. And you also don't necessarily (coughs) get to choose for how long. And um, the problem that I found myself falling into was that, I would hyper-focus on just the most horrible, unfixable things about me as a person that we all have. Mm-hmm. And I would do, I would just think about it constantly for like two or three days at a time. Hmm. And I would, it would, it's to the, it was to the point where I would just be like, I just not functional. Um, and it was even the, the thing that was even worse about it was I was just like, if I can just, I just need to stop thinking about this. And of course that's the last, that's the last thing that you can do if uh-huh. you know, um, so it took years of, of exploring any sort of like, it was it, talking about it with multiple therapists and thinking like, well, okay. And all of the, none of us were even thinking to say ADHD because it's by that time it's kind of a cliche. It's like oh, everyone, everyone talks about oh, I have ADHD. It's like okay, fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of mentioned in passing, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm not one of those. I don't. I don't want to be one of those kids, you know. But then at some point, it was just I got to a point where I was just like, I'm fucking miserable. I don't see how I can fun. I I don't see a, a, like a future for myself that is like not miserable. And I was just like, let's fucking try meds. Like I don't. Someone said ADHD a while ago, and it seems to fit. Mm-hmm. Like I I looked through all the diagnosis stuff, and because and and it's just like let's can we just assume that it's that. And then, and then they were basically like, yeah, that's kind of how we diagnose it is we just kind of, we, we throw some fucking meth in you. And if it works, then yeah, you're, that's your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been working like a charm for 
seven, eight years. Mm, so that was just seven, eight years ago that you finally. Ish. Yeah. That's pretty recent. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And, yeah. and and I think yeah and and so I'm I'm fascinated by it. I talk about it because I'm fascinated by it, but I'm also fascinated by like what that means. You know, if you live thirty five six ish years of your life, actually being convinced that you're a fucking idiot, mm-hmm. like truly, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like oh, now I okay. I I understand now why everyone was saying that you're so gifted or so, you know, just need to apply yourself or whatever. It's like, okay, I understand that now. I still don't understand what the fuck that means, (laughs) but I believe them. Yeah. Yeah, You get it. All right. So back to your 12 or so and you start therapy. Right. Uh, What effect does that have on you through your teen years? Um. Not a lot because the, the guy kind of sucked, um, but it introduced me to the idea of therapy and most importantly introduced my my dad to the idea. Yeah. And he was not, he's never been like the stern, like manly man, like, but he's got, I think everyone of that generation has like enough whispers of that, that it, it fucks with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasn't someone who would be naturally inclined to even explore it. But, and I remember him telling me this, he was like, well, if my fucking 12 year old son can bring himself to do this, then I know I have problems. Sure. I'm sure shit gonna go. Yeah. Um, and so he did that and that kind of like, we all kind of started going in that direction. <clears throat> So I'm basically a trendsetter. Yeah, trailblazer. A trail trailblazer. A pioneer. <laughs> I'm yeah. All I'm of a those fucking pioneer selling synonyms. chickens. Yeah. Um. Uh. I and I think that it also meant that I was being a teenager and dealing with all the stuff that that means under a microscope mm-hmm. <laughs> to some extent. Sure. Um, I don't know that that was necessarily damaging, but it certainly, um, you know, it, it, it definitely, maybe that explains why my, my dating life in high school was so like non-existent and fucked up because <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking like, I'm certainly not going to get someone else involved in this situation. <laughs> so you're saying there's a lot of like, um, self-awareness but also i mean was there like self was there some self-judgment of like oh yeah i'm aware enough to know that i have quote-unquote issues yeah and but i'm not advanced or evolved enough right. yet to be like well there's nothing wrong with that right we all have issues right so there is and your, I, but I, of course that's the one thing i didn't bring up in therapy you know <laughs> like what the the, the, the whole yeah the whole like maybe i should be it's just funny how that works yeah because you know everyone's we're all flawed mm-hmm. <laughs> even therapists yeah <laughs> um yeah. So so you so you start going and introduce your family to the idea of it and they all they all start going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um does that does that in, does that improve 
quality of life and communication in the household, like while you're still living there? Well, it does to an extent, but it also means that now we can communicate that we want to get divorced. Yeah. You know? Sure. Um, which is great. <laughs> so, um, great bird's eye view. Right. Maybe for you, the, the experience well, was not so great or... Um, I think I probably had more difficulty with it than I allowed myself to really think about or process or feel in the moment. Um, I mean, how could it not how have an you impact? When they, when they get divorced? Um, I think it was my freshman year. Okay. So 14, 15 ish. Yeah. Um, and I knew, I knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like it needed to happen. Yeah. Um, so I remember, you know, it's this weird thing that I'm always struggling with um, where I'm able to look at it analytically and mm-hmm. go, oh, that makes ups. That's perfect. This is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Like, really, it's really this is what needs to happen. Yeah. But then kind of that that mutes out the emotional reaction to where it's like, well, if this makes sense, then why are you crying? <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and I struggle with that dynamic in myself all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when you look back on when your parents, before they got divorced, how did, how do you remember them communicating? And I know you say they didn't, but like, how did they interact with one another? Like, did you ever see them? Were they like distant friends? Were they ever like romantic? Was it like, was there passive aggressiveness? Was there like, how, and and of course this is a big question because I mean, we're talking about years and years and years, but like, as far as what your example for better or for worse of what husband and wife are based just based solely off of viewing them mm-hmm. what's the picture that you got i feel like it worked in waves like there would be there would be long ish periods of time where it was really clear that they were getting along mm-hmm. and um, and what does getting along look like like i mean sitting on the same side of the couch when we were watching when we were watching dallas Sure. Yeah. Um, Talking a lot. Not talking a bunch. Kissing, hugging, hand holding. Yeah. I mean, they weren't like you know weird or inappropriate about it. Sure. Like they. Yeah. It was. It's like okay. Well, these people are clearly a couple. You know. Was it the the reason I press for details is because like every parents every set of parents are different. So some some. I mean, my my parents would. It would be. I remember them kissing every now and again, and it would always be weird to me, just because they didn't do that often. Right. Um, and like, they didn't hold hands, you know, they didn't really hug each other. Um, but then, yeah, the, so getting along meant like, yeah, kind of being jovial with, talking with each other, or laughing with each other. Right. Um, and maybe a kiss every now and again, you know. Yeah, that's, yes, what it, that's kind of it. Okay. Um, you know, uh, sharing the blanket, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then there were times when this, there would be like, there's like, there's like a gradient where like when they're real, when things are good, there's, there's like, here's these people on the side of the couch that are clearly 
they they do love each other and there is there is affection there and there is intimacy um and i mean i just it's just picture any couple like hanging out and watching movies in mixed company or whatever that's that's what they're doing um and then you know there's times when you know mom gets a little further away she's maybe in the middle of the couch and there's other times where she's all the way on the opposite corner and it was a it's a big fucking couch Uh right um it's like a sectional yeah um fancy yeah (laughs) we were living the fucking framing life you know boy that bubble burst (laughs) um and at that point it was like well clearly they may as well not be in the same room but they're in the same room because Dallas is on. Yeah. Um, and they both want to watch Dallas. And I'm kind of in the middle going like, hey, this is weird, right? <laughs> and, but then they would also go through like the formalities of like kissing each other goodnight. Like if someone, it was, it's that weird, like we're following instructions kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Mom. Sorry. If you're <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry. It's my fault for asking. It's a, she's she's fine. Yeah. <laughs> she can handle it. Yeah. Okay. So they get divorced. Um, uh, separate households, I imagine. Uh, or do they stay living together? They or? stay living together for a, for a period of time. But then at some point, my dad... In my memory, he had to, he basically was like, "I this isn't this isn't working." Yeah, you know. Um, so she moves out, not terribly far away, and like in the same city. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad keeps the house, which he had. This is in Claremont, not in the hippie commune, and he had meticulously renovated this house. You know. Um, and I'm kind of just going back and forth wherever, however I want, mm-hmm. you know, which from what I understand for that age is like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't feel weird. I didn't at, at no point was it like, oh, my parents are divorced because it wasn't weird at that point. You know, like I had had a lot of friends who had gotten gotten a divorce their parents had gotten a divorce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, it was one of those things that it was just like, this is a perfectly normal thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think if this is just speculation, I, I, what, when I talk about it, I'm pretty sure that like that analysis thing again, you know, looking at it and looking at, well, my friend went through this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, this is fine. This is normal. And there's just a very special epi- episode of Family Ties about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have maybe derailed my processing of it a little bit because I don't remember being upset. Yeah. I, I, and if anything, it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of a solid good move. It's like, hey, I got, I have, I have two rooms now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but that's it. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I think navigating the two different sets of rules in different houses, that's a little weird, but I mean, but were you ultimately fine with it or did, did some stuff just get shoved down and then sort of 
ooze out later it, on. If that's the case, then it's still so shoved down in there that I'm not aware of it. Let's let's bring it out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Get back together. <laughs> Bobby. Daddy. No, I guess it's it's the kind of thing where it's just like I'm aware that it's possible that yeah. I have just completely denied myself the the experience of processing this, but I don't think so. You know what? You just weren't a little bitch about it, bro. <laughs> yeah. I took it like a fucking... Took it like a champ. Took it like a champ. Yeah. And like a gentleman. You handled it with grace. Like a champ and a gentleman. And a plum. <laughs> um, all right. So then... Uh, so in high school... Uh, we, we've discussed you in high school, but for the new listeners... Um, I mean, you contain you contain multitudes, I'm sure, but you were a theater kid, right? Yes, I was a theater kid. Um, you were a music snob back then. I've always been a music snob. Yeah, yeah. Um, Getting into Bowie and whatnot. I actually didn't really super get into Bowie until like ninety seven ish. And that you're not a true fan, then, bro. Well, sorry, and that I'm came. Sorry but to tell you. I mean, I had been listening. He'd been on the. It, my my sister had changes one Bowie, which is like the album, it's, and that was on heavy rotation like all the time mm-hmm. from the point that like I was probably born. Um, so it's always been around, but um, I didn't actually get super into Bowie until I was killing time at the library at my community college, mm-hmm. and the way that I would do that is I was log I would log on to an old. Uh, David Bowie message board mm-hmm. and basically just fuck with people. And in that, in doing that, I kind of was like, well, maybe I should figure out what this guy's about. You know? <laughs> Why did you choose the, the David Bowie of all people to like fuck with like those? Well, fans? okay. So I think that actually the way it worked was I think my junior senior year of high school, <clears throat> they came out with the singles collection the Ryko disc reissues came out, uh, which out you there. know what that is, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and they released the singles compilation, and my friends and I would just drive around fucking anywhere adjacent to the 10 freeway mm-hmm. and just listen to that. And it just kind of slowly seeped into me at some point. Yeah. And then he released an album called Outside in 96 that was just exactly what i needed at the time it's about art crime it's super conceptual brian eno's a part of it your buddy um but to get to who i am as a as a high school kid yeah i was basically a plain clothes goth in a lot of ways Ooh. like you never, know never heard that term before plain I just clothes made it up yeah <laughs> um undercover goth yeah totally like i was totally that kid but i just i didn't dress like that yeah um and having a good sense of humor and being into disneyland and stuff like it it totally it i confused a lot of people Mm -hmm. um and so theater kid i really really wanted to play interesting characters i really wanted to do like actual theater you know but instead of we were doing fucking oklahoma and it was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would... As a non-theater kid, I, I don't know the distinction. Like I would, uh, It's basically like saying, um, 
uh, I want to do I want to do a JTS Brown show, and then someone being like, "That's great, we're gonna do a Herald now," yeah. <laughs> you know. So you wanted the, the the more complicated, deeper stuff, right? And you're right. Doing simple shit. Um, and we I do some improv, but it wasn't good. Um, it was you know teenagers doing improv without any training. You know, yeah. you can totally yeah. engineer what that is. Yeah. Um. So, but I would also, uh, I would direct stuff because it was like, I figured if no one's, if this oppor- if these opportunities aren't going to present themselves, I'm going to just try to do whatever I can do to show people that like, I'm actually here to do something. Right. Yeah. And also because it was super interesting. So co-directed some one act plays. Uh, this property is condemned was one of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then actually co-directed a full play through the thespian troupe. Um, what was it? The bad seed. What? So a 16 year old kid directing <laughs> stuff yeah. seems pretty like that seems kind of a mature thing to like want to be wanting to, to direct stuff. So like, where did that come from because when I was a kid when I was around that age I too was into the arts just more music yeah. like playing guitar and 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 comedy I guess film but like I didn't take on of like doing something that quote unquote I mean not that directing maybe I'm making it out to be like bigger than it is but that's that's kind of a thing to, to direct a play yeah, right kind so of. how did you develop that sort of mind or like what what that that deep of an interest like did you just like read up on shit or like like were you exposed to like city like theater in the city or like what what got you so deep into that that you were wanting to and ended up directing a play at 16 i think david lynch uh twin peaks came out the original run of it the tv show the tv show um and then so you watched that and I watched, watched that, it? Okay. And I was like, this is... I wasn't aware of the idea that... I think before the, before that, it was like... Art was just a series of like random choices, as far as I knew. It was just like, we're going to make a movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the movie. Movie comes out. Yeah. Um, that was the first time that I was really aware of like there are choices that can be made and there are people that can make those choices. Yeah. And I also got really interested in Clive Barker at the time. His he's an author that's been referenced on this show before. Um, he wrote Jack Reacher. He wrote Jack Reacher. He wrote, uh, uh, Sapphire Precious or whatever. Keep messing that joke up. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, he did the the Pinhead. Yeah, shit. he did the yeah. the Pinhead show. Um, but I was actually I was interested in his his fiction, but also really interested in like some of the essays that he was writing. And at some point, there's there was a quote that I hit of his where I was just like, "Oh, this is the answer," and it was just. Um, something along the lines of like the secret that nobody really tells you is there's no such thing as a painter. There's just someone who decides to paint. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's when I was just like, okay, I'll, 
this you need a a, a show that's directed i can I can learn to do that. I can do that. I've seen someone yeah. do that before. Yeah. And I With also, I got quotes buried deep in your subconscious. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that, that's when I got into, and that's when I started getting into other things like, um, photography and starting, start actually dicking around productively with music in some way, just yeah. starting noodling on the piano that's in the living room. Yeah. You know, just kind of going like, well, yeah, you could just choose to do this. Yeah. All right. So, um, high school, you graduate. All right. Barely. Uh, barely. barely graduate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what happens there after that? Um, nothing. Um, I didn't work. I just, I went to Disneyland a ton. Yeah. Um, just sitting around listening to sad music because that's, I mean, I was listening to sad music before anyway. Um, Oh shit! I really, <laughs> god damn it! I am not nearly as pretentious as I sound. Unless I'm, I'm am I right? <laughs> I mean, you know me, what right? Is, if someone were asking me like, "What's Dan like?" I wouldn't, I wouldn't say pretentious. I'm aware that it's on the radar for people that like don't know me well. Yeah, you know, I'm totally. I, it's something I shoot out there, and I, I, I'm aware of it. I don't think people well the reason why people get that is because of things like this which is uh after graduating high school i (laughs) god i apologize for all the eye rolls that are about to happen um i adapted the the play by peter weiss called marat sod or i forget the full name um to to be a a movie that I was going to make. <laughs> okay. Um that sounds cool. It does, but the 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 play is a a I think it's a musical. Mm-hmm. Like it has musical elements and I adapted a lot of them to not be musical anymore. Uh the script has a lot of like video collages and montages and it's it's like it's peak like 18 19 year old i'm full of good ideas mm-hmm. like it's so there good uh super abstract so the 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 plot of the play so you have an idea is the marquis de sade um don't know what that is Marquis de Sade, uh, you know, movie marquee, a famous movie marquee. Are you aware of the term sadism? Yes. Do you know where that comes from? The Marquis de Sade. That's correct. Ding, ding. Which is, which is, he's, he's the guy. That's that's a person. person. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's got some stuff that he wrote. He's got some weird shit about him. People, you know doing things to holes inside of arms and stuff like Ooh. he's the original torture porn guy. Okay. Um, so someone wrote a play imagining him talking to a French revolutionary, uh, called Jean-Paul Marat. And that's kind of all of it. it's basically, I shouldn't have been touching it at all, but I had friends who were very patient and they're like, 
sure, I have summer before I need to go to college. I'll humor you. <laughs> so we would have like script readings and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was so sure it was going to happen. Nice. And then they all went to college. I'm like, huh. <laughs> there goes my cast. Yeah. I, I can't make my masterpiece now. Um, so then at some point I go to community college because why not? Yeah. I'm just dicking around taking things that I thought were interesting electronic music photography history of rock music um just stuff that i thought was cool yeah um it did that for like three to five years Mm -hmm. and then suddenly i kind of ran out of those bullshit classes and i thought okay well i'll try a real education and i thought well humanities i can try that because it's like history as studied through like the stuff that's created through history. Yeah. It's like art history, but not, you know? Okay. And, um, all of a sudden, um, I'm introduced to a professor whose name is Dan Loomis, who became a very good friend of mine and still is. And I took every class that guy taught, um, because, the way that he lectured and the way that he presented information just was like, Oh shit, this doesn't have to be dry and stupid and boring. And I was hooked. Mm -hmm. And at that point I'm just like, all right, I need to make up for all the shit that I didn't learn in high school. Cause now I understand just how empty of a vessel I am. So I spent 11 years in community college just chasing after the stuff that I'm like, I feel like this is missing. I feel like this is missing, you know, just shoving that shit in mm-hmm. without any plan to like move on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, someone was like, well, you know, you can just choose something to major in now. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess music. Yeah. Cause you know, I, at some point I remember like in first grade, someone was asking, what do you want? What's your, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what's your life goal or whatever? Which is a fucked up thing to ask a first grader, first of all. But I remember very distinctly having this thought of, I want to be able to do all parts of making a movie. Because if you can do, if you can do that, then you can basically have creative freedom. I know I, I want to have I want to have creative freedom and I want to be able to actually like have functional creative freedom, you know, to, to have a skill set where you can just say like, I'm going to do this now and to just be able to do it. It might not be great, but you can do it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I, I kind of picked up all of those things, you know, I can do visual art. I don't know if it, I can do it well or not, but I can do it in a way that, makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, I can do vid- video and with all of those provisos, you know, I can write, I can do all that shit. Um, and again, that says nothing about quality. Just, I can do it in a way that I find pleasing. And then it just occurred to me when I was trying to figure out what to major and I was like, why do I do why am I doing this more than I apparently when I'm, we're not doing the Beatles podcast, like this. I'm, I'm on the table a bunch <laughs> weird. Um, but, uh, it, occur, it, it just occurred to me. I'm just like, well, oh, music. Cause with music, I can just kind of bring it all together if I need to. Yeah. 
So that's it. So you majored in music. You majored in electroacoustic music composition, nice. which is a program that, like I've said before, does not exist. Does not exist anymore, and it should have never existed. <laughs> but it was there. Yeah, and I did it. So your twenties was a time, at least a a slice of that pie, a lot of learning, a lot of... Also a lot of drinking, a lot of themed parties in the backyard, a lot of like searching out the most atrocious things that I can possibly find and like... Like what? Being a part of it. Like um, I've never been to the Salton Sea, but that... That aesthetic right there totally fits my twenties. That Again, like, I don't know what that here, is. It's, the Salton Sea is this place where like it's basically a dilapidated old like resort town. Yeah. Where there's like I don't know seven people live there and they're all like depressed and miserable and <laughs> <laughs> like just seeking that shit out, you know. Um, or like like there was a place like I would go out drinking with senior citizens like every Saturday or so. Just because it's fucking, it was fucking awesome to like hang out with these hard partying seniors. And like, how did you come to know these hard partying seniors? They just were at a place that was close to me. Like, it was just known that, like, oh yeah, you don't, you don't want to hang out there. That's where all the fucking senior citizens hang out. I'm like, are you, are you kidding? Have yeah. we met? Like, I, of course I'm gonna go there. This is amazing. And I, it's such a thrill to like sneak cigarettes by the fire pit with like. People old enough to be your grandparents. Yeah. It's like the same thrill of like, oh, don't tell teacher, you know. Yeah. Um, just basically seeking bottom. Like, like I think I've mentioned before to you in a more of a social setting. I have a strong like fail- failure aesthetic, where like I love seeing shit go wrong. It's fucking. It's so fun to just like see. Oh, this is how it's supposed to work, and to see how it's not being that at all. So most of my twenties was just living that out in mm. <laughs> okay in every way possible while also getting educated. <laughs> yeah. So why do you think that is? Why do you do you think that you did that and are that sort of person who enjoys the failure part of it? Um. On the surface, it's like. Almost like uh, it's not encapsulated all in the word troll of like this person's a troll, right? Like I think that's that's appropriate, especially given how I functioned in the David Bowie fan community online. Like that's just like I don't know how a troll is created. I don't know where they come from. All I know is that I'm not a destructive one. Uh, there's a fine line between a troll and a terrorist. Right. I, I'm a, I, I've always been the fun troll, the one where it's just like, if you know the tells, then you're able to catch on and be like, okay, this person is just fucking with the world. And I, I haven't seen a lot of your work, but I've seen, I, I remember I was, I was back in the day when I would go on these 300 comment fucking Facebook arguments with my conservative family or friends. Oh, yeah. I was in some argument with like a cousin of mine or something. Uh, and you came in and started trolling like, <laughs> and it was so hilarious and brilliant. And I was just like, Oh, that's, I should just do this, but I'm just so angry. And like, right. it, you came in with a, another angle of like, 
agreeing with the person, but very sarcastically and like overdoing it. And it was anyway, right. Anyway, well, was, I, yeah, <laughs> I think that that kind of thing, it's, it's like one of my favorite things where it's just like, well, you realize that you're like this far away from actually being this right. Yeah. Like you're, you're just one tweet from, you know, the grand wizard in chief from actually just being a fascist. Sure. So like, let me show you what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not go down. Yeah, that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. But that, that's, yeah. yeah. I, I thank you for showing me that, that, <laughs> that, that game plan of that. But so why do you think that you have this, as you call it, failure aesthetic or that you're drawn to it? Is it, uh, what did you tell me? What do you think it is? That, that's, that's hard to say. I don't know. Um, I don't know where it comes from. Um, I think there's a degree of like, I think it's a way of dealing with disappointment. Yeah. It's like being preemptively disappointed. Yeah. Or I don't know. I think actually, I think a lot of it might come from just me being told as a kid a lot that or being given the, the the message I was never told that I was bad but I was definitely given the message that I was mm-hmm. that like are not bad but just difficult and I think I learned at some point and I don't this it's probably not good in whatever sense, but it's, you know, we cope the way we cope. I think I learned at some point that whatever the person tells me that I am, and I know that they're wrong. The only way that I can show them that they're wrong is to show them what that would actually look like to show them that like, Oh no, that that's not this. This is I can show you what that is because mm-hmm. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Like if someone is if someone's like, uh, just as an example, just like, Oh, you, you, you can't stop talking. Be like, no, that this, I'm, I'll show you what that looks like. And then I'll, I'll, then when I re when I, you know, go back to normal, you'll see that I actually can stop, mm-hmm. you know? And it's kind of the only way that I could, fight those fights with adults is to just to be like, okay, motherfucker, I see, I, I know what you're doing and you're wrong, Mm -hmm. but I can't tell you that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. I can show you. Yeah. Interesting. I get a little bit of that. Mm. Sort of a form of control too. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what in your mind which is more satisfying for you to experience and or watch something that is planned and attempted and it is executed with absolute perfection Mm -hmm. or that it fucking crashes and burns, which is a better experience for you to see and to be a part of or to see, to watch. I like, okay, if I have to choose, I'm going to try not to do that bullshit thing that I usually you have do. to choose or I will end you. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> if it's like 
if it's completely original, I mean, as far as I can tell, and like, and if I can just like, if I can see that there's a reason for this thing to be as meticulous and as perfect as it is, like, it's not just someone being anal. Uh-huh. It's like, no, there's a re- there's a reason for every step being so carefully laid out. Um, I love that. And again, I think that goes to the Disney Park thing. It's just like, shit, you could have just poured concrete. But you fucking poured concrete, painted it, sculpted it. Like, you, you did some serious shit here. And it's working. Like... It's working at a level where I'm not even aware that it's there mm-hmm. unless I look at it and think about it. So su- something succeeding is, is that's what you're saying. So right. It's, it's pulled right. off. Right. Something where like succeeding so much that you don't even recognize at what level it's succeeding. Because mm-hmm. that is there's so much repeatability there. You know, you can you can choose the depth to engage with it at. Um, yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. So what's going on in your 30s? Your 20s, you're learning, you're also going, you're heading with a bullet toward rock bottom or bottom. or Bottom how, of like the world, you know, not like... The, the underbelly. Right, right. It's And it's not like personally I was a, a mess, although there were moments. Right, you weren't self-destructing or anything. Right. You were just amongst the... I was just seeking out destruction, you know, like a controlled chaos kind of thing. Some might say that you had an appetite for... An appetite for destruction. Um, You know where you are? (laughs) 30s. You know, I'm thinking about going to big boy school. Which means... Which means, uh, you know, I'm working on learning how to um, present my work and myself in a way that doesn't seem like a person that's been seeking out destruction for the past decade. And by work, you mean music? Music and visual stuff, but I'm really moving more towards music because yeah. that's what I'm eventually going to major in, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at places where I can go, dealing with, you know, roommates that are sleeping with each other and, you know, who, who isn't, right? Um, I'm sleeping with my roommate. <laughs> Uh, um, you know, just regular shit. I think, I think actually I, that was, I was more of a teenager in my thirties than I was as a teenager because I was just doing what a teenager would do. And I'm no longer in this place. It's just like, okay, now let me go be a person. Right. Um, cause now it's like, I want to go, I want to go to college, which is like what most teenagers do. Right. Um, and so, and I think I was like very aware of that being the case. So I'm just like, fuck it. I'll just let this be the experience, you know? Um, so I think about going to Vermont to study at, at Bennington College, which is a place where like, it's actually, it actually is potentially the perfect place for me, but it just didn't work out. And I decided that I didn't want to be in Vermont in the winter. Um but it's it's a it's a school where you you show up and you're like I want to study music and I want to study paleontology and I'm gonna just I'm gonna put them together in a coherent way. Um, so instead, I went to SDSU. <laughs> <laughs> where I think, if I'm being really honest, in hindsight, I knew looking at the program that 
doesn't exist anymore and should have never existed. Uh-huh. I think I know, I think I knew that like, this is kind of bullshit. Yeah. But I also looked at it as like, well, that's kind of cool because I can do the Bennington thing. Because if this is bullshit, if it, this is as much bullshit as I think it is, mm-hmm. then I can just make whatever I want of it. Yeah. Right? So, and that's kind of what I did. I minored in theater. I uh, did a soundtrack to a play that they did. That was fun. Um, probably my favorite music that I've made. Um, and then started exploring this brain shit, you know, the, the figuring out that I'm actually not an idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even after doing all that shit, I'm convinced that I'm just full on stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was real interesting. Like, I want to say blow because it's ultimately a positive thing to get that information, but it's just like, a, oh fuck, I have to just completely relearn who about who I am and how I function. And of course, I get deep into that, you know. It just I yeah. Uh, so thirties and uh, graduate uh, from SDSU. Um, so if you're hiring, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I got a job as a manager. At the movie theater, Regal Entertainment Group, mm-hmm. before that company turned into a fucking trash pile, um, to basically see, like, okay, can I do an adult job? Because previously my job was, I, I had a job at a gym <clears throat> saying hi while people scanned their card. I had a job as, as a uh, drive-in theater projectionist, which I took so many naps, I can't even tell you. Like, nice. literally. I, like... I practiced my keyboard playing up in that booth. Like my, that job was insane Yeah, how easy it was. Uh-huh. So I was just like, well, let me see if I can do a big boy job. And I applied for full-time management. And a year later I decided that that is not for me at all because it's miserable. Um, but I can do it. Yeah. And yeah, now I'm a substitute teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love, but it's not a glamorous job at all. Yeah. So how did you come to get into improv? Uh, you know, I was I was trying to think about that because I figured you would ask me. And I, uh, um, how dare you? I, well, you, you know, don't know me. I think I got into it through Doug Stanhope, who is a comedian that I adore. Mm-hmm. Anyone familiar with him won't be surprised by hearing that. Um, and somehow I got through him... To Patton Oswalt, and I think Patton Oswalt got me to Comedy Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. And then that led to, I'm going to listen to everything that Paul F. Tompkins does on Comedy Bang Bang, to I'm now going to seek out everything that Paul F. Tompkins has done in podcast land, which is fucking everything. Yeah. Um, and then kind of putting, and this is like years of just listening to all of this shit and knowing at, at some point it comes in that like uh, improv, they make, you know, inside jokes about UCB and yes. And, and all that shit that kind of seeps out over time. And, uh, I remember at some point thinking, and this is, this is how my brain works. I, I've shared this with you before. I remember at some point thinking to myself, well, if I could do anything that I want, I I would do this improv stuff. And I just started laughing because, of course, that's the way I'm framing it for myself. It's like, well, yeah, you can do anything you want, fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
Um, I did some research and it was clear to me that FCI was the place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to be into any of that clean improv shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I signed up for our class. And then a week before the class, I thought, fuck, I should probably go see a show there. <laughs> so I did. And it was Willis, mm-hmm. which was like the perfect entry team for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just, for me, the hard part it has been the mechanics of it, and from what I've what I've heard and what I'm learning, what I've kind of put together, that's kind of weird. Is that like for most people, the hard part is standing in front of a bunch of people and making shit up and like getting nervous that you're going to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm don't give a shit. Like that, I that's my favorite part. Is mm-hmm. like this could go horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as we've covered yeah, yeah. um <laughs> and that balance of like not pushing it but once we're there like when the drunk lady got on stage with us with terror squad i'm like finally <laughs> we've arrived yeah. <laughs> and i think i said even after that show i'm like not gonna lie i will never stop that from happening yeah. <laughs> um uh, just to explain yeah. to people i want to tell that story <laughs> so dan and i it's the best thing that has happened <laughs> to, for, to me. <laughs> well, so we took level one together with some a group of people, and then we went through all the levels together. And uh, as it is common for a group like that to do, we, f- we formed a team called Terror Squad. We still play. Um, this was during the 24-hour... Our three o'clock time slot. Uh, was this like... No, it was two o'clock, because that's like right after the, bells, uh, the bars closed. This was... Um, was it FCI, like... It was the last show, right? Yeah. So it was like the la- at the Lafayette uh, location. And so, yeah, we had like a 2 a.m. slot or something like that. Um, and so we do our uh, our show and we decided to do a mono scene. And our team started out as like we were going to be like a space crew and like going to different planets and shit. And we had characters that we were going to Characters that we were going to... Dr. Baby. Yours yeah. was... Rick. Rick, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I missed the dy- dynamic of Rick and Dr. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so there's like, I don't know, like six people in the audience, um, which is actually pretty high. <laughs> For one of our shows. For one of our certainly. shows, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so we're on the spaceship doing a mono scene, which is, if you don't know, that means that our entire show is just in one location and we never do any edits. We never do any kind of thing. We just We're just there for the entire 22 minute set or whatever. And one of the characters has a severe drinking problem. True. (laughs) Meaty. Yeah. 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 Um, So we're doing the show and like, I think it's toward the end of the show where this random 20 something year old lady um, walks, she gets up from the audience. Well, I've watched the video several times because I love it so much. Yeah. What actually happens is... Yeah, we have video of this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What actually happens is Meaty's playing Wendy, who's super drunk, right? Yeah. And none of us can figure out how to land the spaceship. Yeah. Yes. And and Meaty just chugs some fucking whiskey. And we're... Before then, or Meaty's character, Meaty doesn't drink. (laughs) Um, 
And before this happens, all of us are very concerned about Wendy, her character. We're yeah. like, Wendy, you gotta like, and I think we even explore some like ways that we tried to get her to quit in the past. And, and so she's, and we're having trouble landing the, the, the spaceship. She's like, fuck this shit. She downs a bunch of whiskey and she just very simply lands the spaceship. She yeah. sits down in the chair that we're assuming is the captain's chair. And she's just like, turn, turn down there. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then I think we kind of, as a, you know, the hive mind group think that ha- happens in those scenes. We're all kind of like, I guess the drinking is helping, you know? And then that's when our friend in the audience is like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and then climbs on she stage, climbs on stage, sits down in the chair. I might have subtly invited her on. <laughs> I th- the- I think the I I think we were still trying to work something out with the spaceship because she sat in the chair and she might have even said like oh I'll do it or yeah. I will like so, or something and she comes on stage and sits in the chair and starts miming like she's driving the spaceship yeah. or something yeah and we're all just reacting like she actually is yeah we like <laughs> some of us are sort of yes ending it some of us are like. What the fuck? Like, yeah. cause it's just a, yeah, a random audience member, clear, obviously drunk, yeah. um, coming onto your show and like inserting herself into the show. Yeah. And then, um, I don't even remember what happened. Like, did, I think did, did, did someone pull lights after that? Yeah. Cause I remember when that happened, I was, I looked over at the clock and I realized we have like maybe two minutes left. And that's that's when I was just like, okay, this is this is this is how it's gonna end. <laughs> yeah, she might have climbed back down and like gone to her audience. I think back she to was her on seat. the whole time. I, but then, yeah, we're luckily, thank God, we were like toward the end, so like lights were pulled shortly thereafter, and we're like, well, that's it. And that's uh, fucking awesome. That was our last show at the old location. And we have a show on the on February twenty sixth. If anyone wants to come see us, there you go. Um, so yeah, that was oh, that sorry, 28th. Was, that was a very um interesting night. Um so back to you. So you <laughs> have been doing improv now for 2 years. Um and so what have you in the last 2 years or so It seems to me that you are going through changes or I mean, we all change. We all go through things. Um there, our, yeah, there's a lot going on. Our group is is one that where we we share a lot of of, yeah. of our internal life and our emotional stuff and and um, so how would you describe these last two years the journey quote unquote that you've taken what has changed for better or for worse um, and not everything obviously relates to improv but I, right. I I think improv is kind of a has been a catalyst for some things I, absolutely so I mean we'll guys talk about that. Um, I have learned, it's going to sound like an infomercial for improv, but I'll try to get around something else. I've learned that it's very hard for me to be direct because a lot of times I don't, I'm like just kind of building the thought myself, but being direct is always a good idea. Uh, I've learned, I think I've re I think I've learned how to be a friend in a genuine sense. Um, not that I was really shitty at that before, but I don't think that I think my friends before were mainly like I have a lot I have a lot of close friendships. I don't wanna like um but 
I get. I guess what I'm getting to is that like, you can just choose to care. You can just choose to be to give something important. You know, it's kind of like are we on our first, and I, I think we still haven't figured out we or remembered who it was that did this of, of us. And I, I like that. Um, but at some point we just kind of said, Hey, why don't we just like hang out after class? Cause we're going to be friends. So let's just choose to be friends now, mm-hmm. you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, I've, I've seen a lot about how I get in my own way. You know, as I see, this is going to sound like a negative thing, but I think it's an overall positive thing. Um, I'm in a team with a bunch of, with people who are doing a bunch of other things in improv land. And I'm kind of slowly trying to not be that person who you see in the team and you're like, Oh, he's just kind of here, you know? Um, And I'm seeing how, like, I think part of the story is for about five or six years before doing improv, I was doing literally nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was working, but I had zero real social life. I mean... You know, no one has zero social life, but really I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't reaching out. I wasn't challenging myself in any way, um, which I think was a, an overreaction to the ways that I was challenging myself in unhealthy ways, you know, spending three hours a day at the gym and then napping and going to work. Clearly you're trying to escape something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I quit doing that, and in quitting doing that, I kind of quit having an identity, I think, for myself. And making that leap, taking those steps, and basically just being able to find some people who I can genuinely say, like, look, I'm this is hard for me. And to have them say, like, yeah, but you're doing it, you know? Um I don't know if that's even an answer to what you asked. <laughs> it is. Okay. I, it, for me, it's all very, per, it's everything is very personal, whether I, whether that's good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of going to be the answer to that. And I think that what's currently an interesting challenge for me is that, and I know we've talked about this, um, two years is about as long as I have ever spent doing anything mm-hmm. intently and in a way that like I find challenging mm-hmm. and interesting. And I'm recently bumping up against that. And, you know, in other settings, my old, what, what had happened is my old tricks, just, I got bored of them. Mm-hmm. So rather than challenging myself to push through that, I just stopped doing whatever the thing was. In this setting, and I think I knew that this might happen going in, um, but I had forgotten, you know. And in this setting, that that is happening to me with improv, where I'm bored with myself. Um, but 
I'm in, I'm so invested in, you know, you guys that I want to challenge myself to do it because I know that you are there and I know that you would want me to. Mm -hmm. And that might be, might not be the 100% most healthy reason for someone to power through something or to do the work, but it's what I have and it's what I, it's what I haven't had before, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, before I was just working, doing stuff for myself because I wanted to do them. I still love doing it. I still Mm -hmm. love doing improv. I still, you know, everything's great, but I don't, I'm currently bored with how I do improv. Um, but I'm really working on it. Yeah. And I think I'm just barely over the crest of that hill. Nice. Nice. That's not a word. (laughs) I I, think you meant nice. I heard crest and I put it <laughs> nice t- um well, I've got bad news you're barely over the first pebble <laughs> at the bottom of the hill my friend well and I think that what I would so I had I had like a micro version of this with music um it was actually right before I it was right before I did the uh, soundtrack to the play mm-hmm. God, I I uh, um, sometimes I just am that person. <laughs> See, so here's the thing. Yeah. You did that and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Right. But we have to, I mean, I, listen, I'm, I'm calling you out, but I, I, we all do, a lot of people do this thing where we have to put on that voice yeah, yeah, to yeah. protect ourselves right. from the backlash that's not actually there yet. And if it is, I, and I guess if we're here, I may as well put it out there. If anyone's curious I'm not selling, I haven't done anything in music for like eight years, but if anyone's curious, it's Third Uncle Violet and it's on Bandcamp. Um, but, and the album that I'm talking about is called Letters to Eurydice. Anyway, um, I was at this place where um, I was really feeling like I was just a piece of shit, like musically. I'm like, I've never done anything good. What is good? You know, like it's just, and I sat down and I'm just like, I'm just going to make a piece of shit. And it's one of my favorite pieces of music that I've done because I just gave myself the permission to suck. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, just what needed to happen. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of why I have a lot of hope for this, whatever, this improv, you know, growing pain or whatever is, I mean, not only do I have a very, very supportive team around me, but... I know I've I've been able to push through something similar before, and that led to f- fucking a lot of fun, a lot of really good stuff that I'm super proud of. So, yeah, yeah, all of that. You know what's interesting about improv as well is that there's no, unless of course you record it, but even then it's not a true rep- representation of what you did. There's no. Th- finished product that you can experience again Mm -hmm. whereas like you know like a film or a photograph or a piece of music Mm -hmm. where i have this now and i can play it today i can play it in 10 years and i can it'll always be the same and this will be an encapsulation of all my efforts rather it's just like this thing that you do and then it's gone it's up in the air right and it's just gone in its purest form it really is that because if you have a recording it's still almost that yeah. It's like it's it's a rep- it's a representation of 
that happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, but it's not that. It's not that. It truly isn't. It's like jazz, man. Yeah, bro. (laughs) So that's, that's the hardest part in explaining improv to people who don't know is like, ultimately the easiest way to put it is, well, it's like jazz, but, only assholes say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to like never dance around. <laughs> but it's it it makes one wonder how one can one one with the oneness. It makes you wonder how oh. how you can um, how you're supposed to. It forces you like the only way you can really enjoy it is to to enjoy the journey because the destination, the finished product doesn't exist right there is no destination it's just a like so you're forced to like i just have to and it's that's a that's a weird thing of like because you do enjoy a good performance but it's so fleeting because it's just Mm -hmm. like there's no record of it right so it's just like you're just forced to just enjoy it for what it is and have fun doing it and almost like listen you're going over to your friend's house to play and you just have to enjoy playing. You can't mm-hmm. try to win a thing or try to like take home something because you're not it's, not. it's not there. You just have to enjoy playing, and that's it. It's also a really fun place for that dynamic <clears throat> of like enjoying a really well done thing and enjoying watching something just fucking befall on its ass. Because yeah. like, there's so much to be said for like a show that is clearly falling apart and is clearly a nightmare, mm-hmm. but you can tell that the people doing it are like, yeah, this is what's happening and we're just going to do it. Like, yeah. it's just, we're going to ride it out. You we're all hurting here and it's We're going to be okay. Yeah. I love those shows. And there's something to say about improv as well. At least from my perspective, I feel like I haven't truly, even when they when like you go watch like a level two show or something, like it's not that bad. Like it's never like the worst show possible is like for me not that cringeworthy of an experience because it just isn't. I don't know. Like there there's something even great about what you're doing. Like they're they're tr- they're doing improv. They're making something up, and it's like there's not like a direct fixed meter of like this is zero this is bad this is a hundred this is great because like it's such a such a kaleidoscope of what it could be that like it's not as simple as good or bad it's not it's not that binary so like even watching like a quote-unquote and i wasn't say shitty but i I won't even say shitty okay shitty improv show (laughs) or just people with inexperience is not that shitty like compared to like a shitty musical performance or like a like, oh, yeah. a like a band sucking hard sucks worse and is and is more cringeworthy than some inexperienced improvisers sucking on on an improv improv stage so there's i don't know just to, i say that just because it's true but also to like not to scare people into not doing improv like right. you can suck and it's still something to behold almost well and into not watching it too because like law of averages you're if you see enough improv, like probably by your fifth or show or so show ish somewhere in that neighborhood, you're going to see some failure prov and hopefully the people on stage are embracing it and they know that that's what's happening. And like, they can turn it into like what I love seeing, which is like a, this is all a nightmare. Let's just have a nightmare together. 
But then there's also the ones where it's like you can see them fighting like, no, this isn't failing. And you're like, it's sorry. It's you're 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 in that show now. You should just be in that show. Mm -hmm. And seeing that is nearly painful. But that's just the nature of improv. And I remember walking out of a show that was like that with a friend of mine. And I was like. So then those shows also happen, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's just going to happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for the most part, it's, it's fun to just see people explore shit and do shit. Yeah. And I think in terms of cringe stuff, the only stuff that I find I cringe at is entirely personal where it's like, I'll see someone do something that. I totally used to do or I totally did. And I thought it was so fucking clever. And I'm just like, Oh, you asshole. Mm. Like to me, not to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, sure. Oh, fuck. Nice. <laughs> oh, it's the old reversal. <laughs> you think it's this, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm, I, I, let's talk about our, uh, <laughs> well, I'm actually to have one, um, or a couple of pet peeves that I'm over now in improv, which is um, one is the sir, this is a Wendy's type of thing mm, where yeah. like two people are doing something like they're having some kind of uh, high emotion thing. Maybe someone's really angry or something. And then third person walks on is like, mm -hmm. uh, sir, like what, this is a Wendy's. What do you want? You know, that kind of like I, that, mm -hmm. that needs to die. Mm -hmm. That part is like, it's a cheap thing. It's, I, I mean, okay, that's, I, I, on paper, it's funny, but we can do better than that. I think we can certainly use a break from that. <laughs> and it also takes away from what the two people are doing because right. you're going in for like a cheap contrast joke of like... I think sometimes that's maybe... It, it's like when you see some a scene and it's just clearly not going anywhere and it's clearly not going well, well, edit. But if you're trying to do that savior thing... I completely agree with you, but I think that like there are times where it makes sense to do it in the moment, but then after the fact, you know, I should have just fucking edited it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but I think latching onto that, what I, what, what, what bothers me with that is when you see, and I, I was, I, I'm a reformed that person. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure I've done also. <laughs> I the, think everyone, yeah, I think, I think everyone's think, done like, sir, this is a Wendy's. Yeah. Type of I thing, think yeah. it's a move that everybody at some point finds like, Ooh, it worked. This is, this is my thing now. You yeah. know? Um, uh, I, I think w when it bothers me is when it's clear that that's like that improvisers shtick. Like they're always waiting for like, uh, but, but I'm the doctor. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> like what? I'm expecting, I'm expecting it now, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Let me see. Another thing that doesn't, doesn't make me angry, but I think it's something that I would, if I were a teacher, I would tell everyone to because a, a lot of people do this thing where they, they start sentences with, um, Wait, do I have this right? Is, is, this, is this the thing that bothers me? The you know? Yeah, that's real convoluted. Um, <laughs> saying the you know dot 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 like... No. Well, no, not like that, but like... 
you know that I'm a oh, painter and I yeah, get angry yeah, yeah, at yeah, this. Yeah. You know that this, 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 because really it's, and again, I, I'm not as mad about this one because it's a fear thing, which we all, we, we all have our own fear moves of like, I need to control this scene. So I'm going to say, you, you know that I am three months pregnant and I don't like waffles, but, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's like this weird exposition thing. Yeah. Um, and I, that, that one's more of just a personal preference of like, I, I see what you're going for, and, and you don't need to do that. Or if you're going to do it, do it in a different way than saying you know or I know. Um, that's just a personal thing with me. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's a. But at the same time, like I, again, I I see it, and I I don't disagree. But all I can go to is a situation where someone's saying, "Well, you know," and it's just like so much exposition mm-hmm. it's just like what the fuck <laughs> well that's yeah if it's, yeah. If it's overdone then that's yeah. obviously a choice and yeah. that's a funny thing yeah yeah um, <laughs> um i i kind of judge and i know that this is a part of my brain that's just a fucking asshole um but that part of my brain judges how people use the suggestion hmm and again, I realize that I'm the one that's wrong. So here. what's the way that you like and the way that you don't like? I don't like it if it's if I give it's like like if someone if the suggestion is avocado and then the scene starts with, Well, here I am picking avocados. <laughs> you don't like that. No. Yeah. So I'm the same way. I've for the longest time I've I've always been an A to C. Um the only reason the only way and I've come back around of like being like, well, maybe I should work avocado into it only because which audience am I playing to? In my mind, I'm always playing to other improvisers. Right. And so I want to do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. The hard thing is avocado makes me think of this, which makes me think of that. And mm-hmm. so now I'm going to start a scene as, um, I don't know, a fucking uh, car salesman for whatever reason because of I went A to C. Right. But if I'm playing to an audience of non-improvisers, they're going to want to see, it's it's going to seem like, well, they just fucking ignore my suggestion and they're going to love. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah, I said yeah. avocado and he's picking an avocado. Yeah. And then, but there's nothing, I guess there's nothing wrong with it because it's not like, you know, it's not like you say, I pick them, I'm picking an avocado from an avocado tree and then lights. It's like, right. I still have to do improv. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, and again, that's but, uh, just that judgy part of my brain that I know yeah, is a dick. And I'm the same way. But like, and like, and honestly, like half the time I don't even, like I'll hear the suggestion and then I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot. I And I, I always forget the suggestion about oh, yeah, five minutes yeah, Totally. In. So it's like, we could bring it back somehow. I'm like, right. I have no idea what the suggestion was. And then the other thing, um, the, a very general thing, and, but... And it's not it, it's it's not a specific thing, but hopefully I'm able to communicate this in a way that you can latch on to. Any move in any improv, anything that makes it feel like they're like doing a magic trick with improv, like a improv is magic. Like um, I don't know what you mean. Like like sometimes, like very like entry level scene painting kind of stuff can be like this, where it's just like. Here's a couch. Now there's a TV. And over here, there's this. And then they like, then they go and they sit on the couch. And they watch <laughs> the TV. And it's just like, 
what are you doing a fucking magic trick or what? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, it's, it, it's like, there's, I think, I think what, I think what I'm getting to as I stumbled to get there is like people kind of not really ready to use the tools that they're using. And so it becomes about the tools. So they're, and, they're very pleased with the object work and like the object work is like the star of the scene. Is that what right. you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, like, um, it's just, I, I just feel like the fuck are you saying? I don't man? know. <laughs> I have a learning disability, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just it's. I guess it's not. Really or is a it thing. with the with it, the way they're doing it? I, it might be that. It might be a presentational thing. Yeah. Where it's just like, and now I'm going to do this. Where like, I mean, that could be a whole shtick. Like somebody yeah. who's like just being that person. Yeah. But like that, like, and I think it might be people like like someone who actually still thinks improv is magic. Um, where it's it's like. What 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 am I gonna come up with? It's like I don't fucking know. I don't care. Just get to it. <laughs> this might be some weird personal shit with you. Probably. Yeah. Speak, well, let, let, let's use that to transition to. Have you heard Dan hates the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> Subscribe now. Um, somebody. So something that I love in improv is is when if somebody can do something that I'm not expecting because mm-hmm. you know you see enough improv you you know what's coming like Mm. and it's not even bad because like a good improviser will do this next because that'll be funny and they do it i'm like all right you're a good improviser you did this this was set up and you did this and that was funny haha of course me personally i'm not laughing because i i just you, you see enough you know it's coming somebody who can do stuff that's just so out of left field but like but still funny, mm-hmm. not like I'm random. It's like, okay, you're just being random for being, right. but so I was watching a show, I think it was found family recently. Um, and Jessica Farber was doing found family and she constantly does shit that I don't see coming and she's very unpredictable and it's mm. very funny. I'm using this to transition to, so who, do, who are some of your favorite improvisers? Um, <laughs> I wanted to give some props to, to Jafar because, um, and she's she's very she's very confident, and so that's another thing about improv is like, because there could be some things where wires get crossed or somebody right. says something, and then it like, and the, sometimes that'll get close to that happening, and Jafar just push plows through with her own shit mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. and it's just like, yeah, it works because you're so confident about it, right? Um, anyway, yeah, no, I I. I'm also a part of the J Farb fan, fan club. I I envy the I I don't know, I don't know what anyone's process is, but yeah. dealing with the bullshit that I deal with in my own head, like what I see when she plays is someone who's just completely free to let the just whatever, like just whatever, open your mouth and whatever the fuck comes out, you know, um, like that's that's awesome. Um, John Wright. I I really enjoy him, mm-hmm. and I'm really, really glad that Dave and I were able to land him as uh, our coach for the fabulous Improv Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the duo I'm in with uh, Dave Goldberg. Fib, as the fans Fib, call it. indeed. Um, I, it just, he's, he's so understated. Mm-hmm. 
but can like switch that on a dime. You know, I, yeah. I, I like that just like quiet insanity that he can play. Um, Seamus, I, when I, when I know that Seamus is involved with something, I'm genuinely delighted to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, ooh, Seamus is in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I, and I don't know that it comes easily to him, but it seems like it does. Mm-hmm. And, I just I love he 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 touches enough on that the really good productive version of a failure aesthetic where like like he'll just like <laughs> there was a show I saw at the old location found family and you know remember there was that window you know yep and they were doing a scene and he went up he went behind the window and he was like ready to go and I think like it went in a different direction or something and he just came out and like they started to address him and he was just like yeah it's not gonna work anymore and it's worked out it's like yes <laughs> i i like any any time that like i mean because it's still improv yeah and it's still like a bunch of people making shit up on a stage and like you could also do that i mean it'd be one thing if like that's your shtick all the time yeah but just the freedom to do that, I was like, I like this guy. Yeah. Um, very smart dude. Makes him a smart player. And right. Very good at attention to details, remembering little things. Um, if I needed, if, if, if you needed someone who was like, okay, this person's a rookie or something, like somebody or just, I, I don't want to worry about all the details and shit. I need my partner to do that. Mm-hmm. Seamus would be that guy of like, mm-hmm. he's dependable. You can depend mm-hmm. on him to, to handle all of the good, like all the remembering shit. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Um, I haven't been around the theater a whole lot lately. Me neither. Um, I got to give special notice to Randy. Randy. Um, who I... I enjoy his on his authenticity mm-hmm. in general, and I think you know he's totally solid. I enjoy that. Shout out to him. Shout out. Uh, shout out to our couple of. We had this. I, I I think it's you. I'm gonna I'm gonna pin it on you that you have this energy that attracts someone like that lady that rushes, oh absolutely that rushes on stage, yeah. and then also this thing of like. We've had a couple of people like message or like the Terra Squad Facebook page, and like, I think we've had two random like women who yeah. nobody knew who they were. Nobody. And this is on separate occasions, and don't like not like a lot of or zero like mutual friends, and like never seen them at the theater, but they're like messaging us about Terra Squad, or like when's yeah, Terra Squad playing, and like I'm on like. I've been on several groups and never had this thing of like people messaging us directly about like wanting to see our show. And like, listen, I love our team. Like, we're not like some, we're we're nothing special. Well, to to me, we are, but like, we're not like our average audience is like, Three people. Yeah, we're not like some powerhouse <laughs> team that's touring the nation. So if you'd like to come see us, yeah, <laughs> I think we're great. I, I agree. But like th- that's most indie teams. You know, it, it's it's just they have like five people show up, and it's just like you know whatever. Yeah. Um. But we have this weird thing of like attracting random people. It's just I I I, I wanted to 
put that out there in the universe of like no i it's just a it's just a strange thing that it's a trend and you're like you're the one common denominator yeah i don't know i mean it 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 is a weird trend i guess i guess if you put out into the universe that you are like accepting of randomness and like just strangers coming up to you and telling you they're all their problems yeah not that these people have yeah. but i'd be open to it yeah <laughs> um or I, I also, so I, I I realize this is going to sound not what I intend it to be. And I think you'll understand this. I like to think that our, our posters, our air quote posters, make us seem like we're way more exciting uh, than we actually yeah. are. <laughs> That's also a thing. That could be a thing. Which is entirely on purpose. <laughs> there you go. We have cool posters. <laughs> Yeah, I love. I think the the theme I go with when making them is like, I'm trying to think of some person who is really way impressed with like this team. Like, you're gonna fucking lose your mind when you see Terra Squad. Yeah. <laughs> well, but also they just they're not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I hope we get more yeah. random fans. Um, all right, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Daniel, my friend. Um, <laughs> I was totally expecting you to ask me if I love the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you love the Beatles? Fuck no. Well, then we shall have another episode. Um, what do you... Uh, if If we had to read the book The Secret and then make a vision board, which I think... <laughs> are the boards that we put on like what we want Mm -hmm. on them. What your next few years of your life, what's on your vision board? What do you hope for? What do you yearn for um, in your life? Socially, professionally, emotionally, sexually, spiritually. um, I think furries covers all of that. Furries. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Professional. Yeah. All of it. Um, What do you, hope for the next few years of your life uh i would like to put do more uh, more improv stuff okay in general and if that means more terror squad more fib more meat flappers more just like more quantity of what's already happening. That's great. Um, Cause I, I, it's really good for me. Um, I am hopefully going to, I am going to be starting at some point in the near future and near future for me is wide. Um, working on and getting a credential and special ed special education for those of you who don't know what ed is short why did i do that um in in the uh, mild moderate area which is exactly the kids that that's that's where i would have been mm-hmm. um um let's see fabulously wealthy yep i'm gonna build a robot mm-hmm. uh no i um there's something more Oh yeah, I would really like to learn how to be in shape again without being obsessive and weird. Um, because I have that energy that I really try to contain. It's called big dick energy. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe get back into music, but I don't feel an urge there. But it's a little door cracking open a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I think just now that I'm at a point where I am actually kind of like not just kind of happy. I'm like, I'm really, I'm, I'm good with all this shit mm-hmm. that it's taken really, really a long time. Um, and you know, um, I'm continuing to enjoy having a good relationship or a relationship at all with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I realized that we've already gone through a whole lot, so we don't need to go into great detail there. But, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm, Again, as thrilled as I can know how to be that 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 has happened. Yeah. Um, context: He has Alzheimer's, and we're we're good, um, which hasn't really been the case before. Um, I don't know how. Is this how you end this? No, I just wanted to ask. Okay. Yeah. Right. Do you love the Beatles? <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't know what I love. Um, well, maybe I'll have you back on just to talk about your dad. Cause I'm sure people would be like, why the fuck did you not talk to him about his dad? There's at the, toward the end, you have this whole thing about, right. So uh, yeah, we could talk, we could talk about, uh, yeah, I think that'll be a good, there'll be a good timing for that. And the other thing should the other thing work this, that, and then the other thing. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for being on the pod, Daniel. Thank you for having a pod to give to do yeah um you can see dan uh, performing with terror squad uh fabulous improv brothers the newly formed meat flappers maybe mm-hmm. um listen to him on dan hates the beatles and the supreme resort podcast or see him on the streets mm-hmm. and tell me all your problems tell me all your problems <laughs> invite him to the next furry convention fuck yeah yeah oh hey have you ever just gonna put this out there have yes. you have you looked at uh there's a f- clip called Bob Eubanks discovers what furries are. No, that's done yeah. right after we hit stop on this thing. <laughs> All right. Thanks everybody. Bye. Bye.